sir, can you please sit down? The funeral's about to start. <laughs> Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of <laughs> Films on Trial. Hello. It's a science fiction horror film this week, so I thought I'd uh, try a little creepy intro. It wasn't a case that I was just leaning from my phone and just stretching a bit too much. Sinister that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, we, we, this week we are doing Event Horizon. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like Event Horizon, we are Infinite Terror. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That's that's quite up. It's, yeah, it's, it's not no, far no. off. Yeah. We have infinite terror. We give infinite terror. <laughs> so you, you, you get the point. Anyway, seriously though, if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your breath and curl up into a ball because <laughs> hold on to your breath. <laughs> yeah, hold on to your breath. Hold your breath. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on to your it's breath. The airlock scene. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm trying to say, Joel. All right, you know it's it's hard, right? I've had a long day, pal. Right, uh, I can't even remember the rest of the joke, but essentially we take a film <laughs> and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained, including the quiz, average impressions, a caption contest, awful xylophone playing, some sound effects, and a lot of banter. So do stick around. This week's film on trial is the 1997 sci-fi horror Event Horizon. Is it Sam Neill or Sam Bendover? Hopefully, <laughs> we're going to oh, Neil. Up. Oh, right. Wow. That, I didn't actually get it. <laughs> yeah, it took me a little while. It took me a little while, yeah. 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 It's very high. Which one, again, this I'll week. repeat what I've said in the past, but which one is the bad one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, we're going to find out whether it's good or bad, essentially. Uh, just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode, so if you haven't seen Event Horizon yet, check it out. It is free on uh, Sky, if you have Sky. Uh, otherwise, it's not free. Uh, or... It's about £3.50 on Amazon Prime. Uh, so you can listen to this episode after you've watched it, or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz. This week brought to you by me, which I will start to write shortly and will be brought to you around the 40-minute mark, <laughs> I reckon. Uh, now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, I don't have any sound effects for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. What, Ozzy? Oh, I mean... No. Perfect. <laughs> okay, that's much better. That's much better. I think the first one summed it up better, though. Uh, okay, um, so, yeah. Dave, you judged that trial and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. You've since gone away and you've watched it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, it's in the right place. I think I've definitely put it in the right place. I think it was very close call when I made the verdict uh, last week. But I think, uh, having seen the film, it, I'd have been more confident with my decision i'd have been more secure in it so uh yeah it's definitely in the right place there's some decent performances it is a little hard to follow but as long as you go into the film knowing that you're all right and uh, what was your favorite bit in it um uh the ending of course yeah just uh, how it's uh <laughs> how it's left open for all to see <laughs> okay thanks dave uh now on to the bulk of the show uh this week's film as mentioned before is event horizon uh, I I don't know what I'm going to play on the xylophone for this. I can't even think of a, of, of a song. Just put that sound effect on again. <laughs> right. <laughs> there we go. And it was picked out of the hat at random and was recommended to us by one of our long-term, long-time listeners, 
Craig Harris, uh, who's a Fredo enthusiast. Um, <laughs> who's kids that love him more than <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, he called this film a perfect Sunday afternoon film. And I think that is a reference to a tweet that I sent out a while ago when I watched it one Sunday uh, whilst I was doing the ironing. And I burnt a shirt because I was too engrossed in the film. <laughs> uh, don't worry, though. It was only from Ethel Austin's, so it only cost me about three quid. Uh, I'll be a classic these days because no, it's gone, that shop, isn't it? Has he? Oh, yeah. oh, man, vintage. I could have had that on eBay for 10 quid. <laughs> anyway, right, uh, okay. Uh, now, all of the roles have also been picked out of the hat at random. So in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be me and Dave. Now, Dave is just like Lawrence Fishburne's Captain Miller. Yeah, he's pretty sensible, but he's not fireproof. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you that one. I am not fireproof. <laughs> I found that out to uh, Dave's detriment about 15 years ago when I set fire to his hair by accident. Um, it was not by accident. <laughs> you and I both know what happened then. Yeah, it wasn't by accident. I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm a little bit like the ship Event Horizon, decrepit. I'm, <laughs> I'm incredibly mean to anybody who comes near me. And at my centre, I've got a dangerous black hole that <laughs> the people are always sticking their hands into. <laughs> wow. So you're going to go for the explosives as well. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite explosive, yeah. I'm not wrong though, am I? Um, now, uh, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and Ozzy. Ozzy is a bit like Sean Pertwee's Smith. He shaves his head even though he doesn't need to. And he parks his large and heavy vehicle with no regard for anybody else. <laughs> And Alex is just like Sam Neill's Dr. Weir. He used to be very intelligent and well-respected man, but now he's bald. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you make yourself laugh. Which is the most important thing. <laughs> now he's bald, his head is covered in cuts and nobody likes him. <laughs> uh, to be honest, as I was watching Event Horizon and he came on bald, covered in scars, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I will try and stop mentioning uh, your scar uh, in a few weeks' time, I promise. Uh, okay, now, just like real court advocates, we'll be making the best case for our roles. These may or may not be our real opinions, however, so do stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear our genuine thoughts. Which means this week, via Skype, Joel has the most important role as he will be playing the judge. Hello, Joel. Hello, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yep, yes, yep. we can hear you, Joel. Uh, Unfortunately, player, yes, yeah. yes, once again we can. Uh, and Joel is just like Jason Isaac's DJ, quiet and unassuming when you first meet him. But then the more you get to know him, the more disturbed you think he is. <laughs> now, uh, Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Uh, now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film this week. It has landed on Dave. So how would we like Dave to read the synopsis out? I'd like it in that gravelly, smithy voice. Oh yeah, Sean Pertwee. Sean Pertwee. Yeah. That, 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 seemed, that shouldn't be too bad. I'm just jinx myself now, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> so kind of gravelly and cockney, basically. <clears throat> A rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black <laughs> hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. I wish that's what Jim <laughs> sounded like in Event Horizon. Yeah, no. Brilliant. Sean Pertwee, he sort of always talks like this, doesn't he? That, quite, that's a much better quite, Sean Pertwee. It's quite monotone. Sean quite Pertwee. Gravelly. My father was Doctor Who. 
<laughs> uh, now, uh, okay, so without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to please kick off proceedings? I certainly will. So I have seen this film, but it's a long time ago. And um, I know certain people within our friend group uh, kind of fondly you know, think of this film. So I'm interested to see what people say. Uh, so, as always, just a very brief kind of plot overview from uh, the defense, and then we'll kind of go straight into uh, if the plot works, if it's a good one, that type of thing. So, defense. Okay, well, this film, uh, you know, it starts off quite well. Um, quite well. <laughs> strong, strong out the start yeah. block there. <laughs> and then it just gets better. <laughs> so, it's a bit better after that. <laughs> it keeps on getting a little bit better until it reaches the zenith of being really good. good. <laughs> now, uh, okay, so yeah, it starts off, it's, it's a crew, an ex- exploratory sort of space crew who uh, are just coming back off a really long mission and they are told that, hang on, you need to go back out there and you need to travel to the distance sort of um, uh, far reaches of uh, Neptune because uh, they've heard a distress call. Uh, They've got uh, Dr. Weir on board, played by Sam Neill. It's very mysterious what they're actually doing, what the mission involves. Uh, So Sam Neill fills them in and says, well, uh, we're looking for the event horizon. Now, this is essentially like the biggest space disaster of all time. It's like the Titanic in space, which also is a great film, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least premise. If that hasn't been made, it needs to be made. Uh, Right, and essentially, it wasn't a big disaster. Uh, That was just a cover-up from the government. Actually, what happens is it just completely disappeared. It's been gone for seven years. Seven years later, they start getting a distress signal through. So they're traveling to Neptune to find out what this, you know, to to go and see it essentially and and listen to the distress signal as well. And then once they get there, they find the event horizon. They board it to kind of find out what happened to it. Um, Dr. Weir reveals that within the inside of the event horizon, they've got uh, sort of a mechanic, uh, you know, mechanism, a sort of, uh, essentially creates uh, a black hole. Well, he, he doesn't say that originally. He says it allows um, transportation to like far distant places. So you can travel at light speeds, essentially. Um, you can get from, you know, point A to, you know, millions of light speed later. space and time. Yeah, and the, the way it does that is it folds space and time by creating a black hole that the ship can travel through to get to another side. However, as the film goes on, we find out that maybe the black hole doesn't just take them to another point far distant. It takes them to somewhere else, maybe to hell. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like that silence uh, <laughs> pretty much. And and Some the look at the bemusement in the like that is literally how do you follow that? It was, it was the delivery more than what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there is a I think I think I was right. This film does start well. It um it's quite beautiful. It's got um great visuals as you're coming out of the blocks, you know, this great space scene you know, reminiscent of that other classic 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm. And then much like that classic 2001 Space Odyssey, it's all downhill from there, to be ooh, honest. Ooh, if you're, I'm going to... Wait Me and Ozzy uh, might go off on tangents a bit on this. <laughs> See, Let's I, leave Kubrick out of this. <laughs> I agree with this 2001 point, but I disagree with his event horizon point. <laughs> I'm very conflicted right now. Whose side am I on again? <laughs> <laughs> You're prosecuting this man. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I'm glad because like genu- I thought I was going to be in for a bit of a tough time when, when it opens with that sort of scene and you think, fuck, this is like pretty well made. It's quite high budget and it feels high budget from the off. But, um, but 
not not long into that, I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this isn't. It's 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 not a great film. It's not nearly a classic space film. That black hole transporting you to you know to to wherever. It it just I just find it very difficult to to grasp and follow. Which is you know, which bit is it the black hole? Is it legitimately legitimately transporting you to hell, or is are you just making that up? No, so so. It, it that that is referenced throughout the film but you never seem to get there and uh, like i i'd agree again i'd say the film starts off quite well and you are like well you know there's some good names in here you know you've got sean pertwee who I'd, I'd never be able to say his name but i knew his face and jason isaacs and jolie richardson's in it and uh sam neill's in it lawrence fishburne so there's all these people you're like this is a good cast hey the budget's all right on this yeah. you know the you know the, the the effects are a bit dated but not in a you know not in a way that ruins the film to be honest so you know you're like this is a good ride you know sets it up well explains the space and time you get to event horizon and then it just it sort of just devolves into just pretty banal horror cliches and just doesn't seem to go anywhere you get to the event horizon and it's not and, and it kind of ends there and you're just like what is going on like what is this hell thing people are talking about nothing's explained and by the end of the film, it just it just descends into this climactic bit after climactic bit after climactic bit. And you just if you've watched one horror film, you will know exactly where this is going. This the crew, oh the crew, you know this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And then it's almost like someone just presses a button. It's like right, it's time to kill all the crew now. Do you know what I mean? All those like <laughs> ancillary characters. Let's have some gore where they're all dying. It's and they die, 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 die. And then some people survive, and off they go. And it, and it really is. It just if you if you know anything about horror films, it just isn't it just isn't interesting. Once you get to the space station, and the plot kicks in. It's boring. I'd, I would disagree. I, I'd say Alex is saying like, oh, just you know, you press a button and die, die, die. Essentially, they get to the event horizon and they're exploring the event horizon, and a lot of people are like creeped out by it. Uh, one of the crew members goes to the core, which is where you know this uh, machine is that you know generates a black hole. Uh, he accidentally turns it on. Um, and when it's turned on, he goes through the black hole, and you know um, they have to retrieve him from him. So he's he's, he's tied by a like what like a, a rope essentially, uh, yeah, like a tether, and they eventually pull him out. And um, he is like completely scarred throughout the rest of the film. Uh, when they turn on the the, the sort of the, the core, um, that has detrimental effect to their spaceship. Um, so that like kind of it sends like a, a wave essentially, and it smashes all the uh, you know um the, the the ship up and you know all the electrics are down all the oxygen's down so they can't actually leave so it's a case of patching up their ship fixing it they've got 17 hours before the oxygen and the event horizon runs out before they can get on their ship and fuck off so they need 17 hours to fix the ship and go um however you know more mysterious things start happening on the event horizon within those 17 hours and every time they try to leave the ship is like sort of essentially has come to life and starts um, fighting the, the the crew or killing them off one by one. One one point okay. on that. One sorry about the one point on that nonsense about the oxygen as well is that all, all of the all the characters smoke. Surely, that's that's a huge plot point to the fact that they've got to do this in a bit of a rush, you know, with the lack of oxygen, and then um, yeah, they just sit there smoking, just wasting oxygen, <laughs> and just yeah, like it's. You know, minor, but also major. <laughs> that, that is your biggest takeaway. It's like Eli with okay, that fucking so... fire. Or Speed um, with this fucking font. It was good font, Ozzy. All right, so Dave, um, Ozzy and Alex both mentioned the kind of horror aspects of, of this film. 
so what type of horror is it? Is it like kind of alien where it's more like a claustrophobic kind of thriller type of thing? Or is it more like your, your jump scares where you're like really kind of tense and, um, you know, a little bit more conventionally scary type of thing? And also, do you think that uh, the horror works? Yeah, uh, to answer your question, it's kind of a number of different kinds of horror, I would say. I say it starts off with the building of suspense. You know, the uh, the the, um, the old uh, distress signal coming out of nowhere after seven years of the ship being missing. It's It harks back to the old, like, Marie Celeste abandoned ship sort of thing. You know, it's like, it's a mystery. What happened here? What happened to these people? Uh, so it builds suspense, and it starts off with a very much of a tension-building sort of horror. Once they get to the ship, um, it, there's a couple of jump scares with regards to, you know, the bodies, what, well, what's left of the crew that they find on board, uh, some of them severely scarred, some of them mutilated, and it's really not quite clear what happened to the rest of them. Um, so it starts with a few jump scares there, and then as the tension builds, it becomes more of a visceral kind of horror by the end of it. I'd say you're looking at particularly gory, uh, macabre, quite a lot of jump scares, particularly gory. I do think that, I think this, uh, that warrants mentioning. Uh, there was one scene where they finally um, are able to break down to, uh, the the it's kind of i'm going to call it cctv from the ship was uh, was warped so they spend a lot of the film trying to piece that together and they get a few seconds of a clip out of it and it is one of the most visceral gory scenes you'll ever see in cinema it's essentially the crew um basically tearing each other apart in this like blood-fueled orgy of sex and self-mutilation and it's it's a horrific thing to see uh they actually ended up cutting a large part of that scene just because like we don't need to show too much of this let's keep it relatively low-key but it is a, a very gory film uh very violent horror i would say i i think it's um the gorgeous sort of comes out of nowhere and so it's not effective because it doesn't you don't really feel i didn't feel viscerally affected by it because it was more just like well you seem to have a film that's a bit like the claustrophobic alien thing and we you know was jump scares it seems to be a lot of psychological horror and so, you know, you, you sort of go in with the film that way. And like, you know, Dave said, there's lots of different types of horror. Well, it doesn't make its mind up, really. And it doesn't gel all the different aspects together well. So you go in with this psychological horror, you find out about the characters. It's quite interesting, actually. You know, you see, I can't remember it, Kathleen Quinlan's boy is, yeah. Yeah, on, the, on, the, on the operating table. And you're like, all oh, right, so we're going to see the character's own, you know, past come in and sort of haunting them and that made me, that's going to turn them a little bit insane. And then, no, all of a sudden you've got this sort of gore, you've got people's skin being ripped off, you've got this being happening and it doesn't fit in the film. So it's not effective. You know, it's well done, I'd say, but it's not good in the film because you're just like, where where did that come from? And, you know, and that's finished now. So, you know, I feel like it just uses gore to keep you interested and to just be like, oh, look, that someone's had their face ripped off. Isn't that cool? Keep looking, but it doesn't work. I, I think it, they play well to each other because at first, you know, like as Dave said, you've got this tension building and then you've got the psychological sort of horror. You know, it's, the ship is essentially alive and it is manipulating the crew. It is making them see visions. So as Alex said, Peters sees visions of her boy who is disabled and, you know, she sees an image of him on an operating table and his legs have been eaten away. Um, uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, uh, I've forgotten it, Captain um, Miller. Miller. Yeah, he sees visions of an old um, colleague that, like, burnt, essentially, and he couldn't rescue him. So he keeps on seeing these visions of this man on fire 
you know, everybody's Sam Neill, of course. Yeah, Sam Neill as well. He keeps on seeing visions of his wife, who years previously had killed herself. So he keeps on seeing visions of her, like in the bath, about to slit her wrists. It's all very psychological. And then after a while, like the, like as the film progresses, it gets more and more gory, more and more violent. Mm, no, I don't think it's. I don't think it builds up like you're saying it does. I feel like it jumps around between all these different types of horrors. Without, if it was like that, that would that sounds great. Do you know what I mean? Like it goes from one to the other, but I think no, it just jumps in between that all the time, and, and you never know quite where you are with it, and that makes it not scary. Disagree. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I understand certain parts of it, but what I don't understand at the moment is what is causing the horror. Is it just kind of some like unseen thing, or is it just like they, they get sent mad, or is it a creature, or what is it? Essentially, it's open to interpretation. You asked before if they get sent to actual hell, and it's like, no, not really. That's not really said. It's the the characters describe it as you know the ship's been to hell. They're in hell right now, and it's just the only way they can rationalise. It. It's the only explanation they have is this uh, explanation that the that the, the, the they must have gone to hell. They must have seen some horrific hellish things whether it be an entity on board the ship whether gav suggested that the ship could be alive in itself that the core has given the uh, the ship some sort of sentiency and some sort of power in this way it's never fully explained and deliberately so that sounds like an omission but it's never fully explained because it's open to your own interpretation something terrible happened here and you hear the characters trying to rationalize it you hear their theories on it but ultimately you never really know what exactly happened to the event horizon. You only get snippets of it, but that's enough for you to build your own picture about it. Sometimes your own imagination can be a lot more scary than if someone just spelt it out for you. Uh, if I wanted to use my own imagination, though, do you know what I mean? Like I'm watching a film, and like I know, you know, Dave's, Dave's argument, you know, it, it makes sense, but I just don't. I don't think that's what happened in the film. I don't. I think open to interpretation can also mean the film doesn't explain itself properly. And I think if <laughs> the actual villain in the film isn't explained properly. That is a bit of a problem for the film. And it doesn't really know. So it went to a hell dimension and Sam Neill does a little bit of a, it's not very nice there and da, 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 da. But you don't know what it is. You don't really know what you're fighting against. You don't know what you're scared of. And there needs to have been a better reveal. It's not that they'd wanted to leave. I just don't think they left it up to interpretation. I think they did reveal it. They went, it's hell. And, you know, you're just left with like, what? It's what? It's a night. It's another. And in sci-fi, and every time I'm watching sci-fi, and it says it's another dimension, it's just like yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know. You that's don't just know. Do you? Sam Neill's no. theory on it. That's his expert. He, he's a he's a scientist. He has to rationalise it, and that's the only way he can. He's that, never. That, but this that, is that, something that, that cannot be rationalised. But that's when he's possessed, and he's saying, and he is the monster. And is he possessed, then. or is he is he insane? possessed isn't he he's actually become the monsters at that point well you, well, you don't know i think i would again you don't know he could have been he could not no, i mean he comes back he's dead and then he comes back you know guess that at that point did he come back he... or was that another hallucination well, at this point no, I mean, the, the he, he characters... gets blown into space is this is this sounding confusing to you joel because <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> but it's pretty much the film you know where someone <laughs> did his friends use a flamethrower on him <laughs> <laughs> if you need a villain uh, and you don't want to call it i don't know the dark um, the darkest points of a human psyche sam neil becomes a more corporal a uh, flesh-made villain for you in, in this in the fact that he does become the most affected by the hallucinations he's seen by the horrors he's seen and he does become uh, the villain of the piece by this point as for the overall big bad, the overarching thing that's that's driven the, him to this point, that's made these events happen, it is very interpretative. I think Gab's got something to add as well. I, I was going to say, but uh, how I interpret the end there is so uh, Sam Neill goes insane. Um, uh, the, you know, he's seen the insides of you know the black hole. He's seen where the ship's gone to. You know, he's got some sort of snippet, and he's he's gone completely insane. 
uh, and he starts, you know, killing off the rest of the crew members um, because he feels threatened. He doesn't want the ship to be destroyed or blown up. Uh, and then there's a scene later on where Alex says, you know, the, the glass gets shattered and everybody gets sucked into space. Um, he, wait, hang on, he's shaking, shaking his head. He, he dies there, I imagine. But then later on, he reappears. He comes, steps out of the black hole from the core with inside the ship because that is where a lot of the other um, characters have, have, have calmed down, Alex. That is where a lot of the other uh, visions have appeared. So the, the the appearance of Peter's boy or the man on fire, they've come from out of this black hole. So Sam Neill, you know, he is, he is ascended essentially. He's not just a physical man anymore. He is, you know, like this nightmarish vision like the others. So like at the end, he's, I don't think that he is like the, the physical Sam Neill, you know, the, the physical Dr. Weir. I think that he is another um, vision or another, you know, like kind of entity. That's how I also interpret it. Because even that, or oh, he survived, but still had time to shave his head before he came back. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, okay. So. But, but before, just before that bit, Gav saying, oh, you know, he, he mutilates himself. But there's, all, there's already, he's being possessed at that point. So he, because he, he takes his eyes out and he's walking around the ship, changing things and doing things without his eyes in. So It's you know, like he's become but, one with the yeah, ship. Yeah, he's become one with the ship. But like that, that means that he is then the, the entity, but it doesn't, he's not, still not explaining what it is. And it's still very much, you know, why is it left up for interpretation? If you're looking at it, if you're looking at the corporeal form of the horror that's possessed the ship, why is that being left open to interpretation? Why not just say, if, if you've got a good idea, which is what the film doesn't have and why it can't do it, you would say, oh, this is what it is, but it, it doesn't. It says it's a dimension of hell. Okay. It's not, it's um, not a, sorry, Joel. All right, so I'm going to change the subject here just before we get too bogged down on that one thing. But one thing that I'm kind of interested about is obviously the fact that it's set on a space station. Um, quite often, you know, in that case, it's either used well, as in the case of Alien, or badly. Uh, so what is it in this film, Ozzy? Uh, you know, I thought it's just, with this one, and you can't, you can't really see it here, but Dave seems really, really adamant he wants to speak first. I'm no, no, I'll let I'm you go wait, first, but I, I'm going to come straight after. Dave's got his hands around Ozzy's throat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hear what you. I'd like to hear what, what you're so passionate. Okay, if, that, if that's all right, Joel, yeah. if I can just say, I think it is used brilliantly in this. This film brought something new to the table insofar as you've essentially got what is more or less a very gory, haunted house movie but it's now in space. And that seems like a daft idea, but it actually works very effectively. The design of the ship and the visuals of the ship it is beautifully done. This is a well-crafted set. This is well shot as well. The interior of the ship, you're looking at like Doric columns, you're looking at flying buttresses, you're looking at what looks like the like a mansion or a cathedral, but built inside out of metal and inside this ship. I mean, it doesn't need support columns. They're just there for the visuals, but it looks great. Even the uh, the core that Gav was talking about, I think I saw one review and they uh, described it as the devil's paperweight. If the devil ever constructed <laughs> his own paperweight, that is what it would look like. And the, vis- the visuals are very gothic. And in sci-fi, uh, particularly in like space travel sci-fi, you don't really get the same sort of gothic visuals that you would get or expect from what is essentially a haunted house movie. So putting it in space works, but they keep it grounded with some sort of like gothic horror. One of the, one of my actual issues almost fully counterpoint to what Dave's saying is that they've made a spaceship that doesn't need to be built like that. This is meant to be set in 2047. And so many times we are, we're, we're given these visuals from, you know, like 1847, 1647, you know, there's, 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 there's people, you know, the guys have got leather jackets. So at least you know that, you know, 
are still tanning. Still cows. Tanning, <laughs> tanning cows, you know. They're, they're, they're smoking in, in space, you know. It's like, it seems a little bit lost in the era that it's set at. And it just seems really pointless that you've got this beautifully shot spaceship. They've not really thought about what a spaceship would look like in, you know, in 20... Why would we go back to Gothic architecture for a spaceship, you know? What goes around comes around. Other than, other than, the, other than to make a creepy-looking structure in space, you know, it a literally is... structure in space. It literally is, uh, you know, house on Haunted Hill in space. Yeah, but, I mean, if you look at Alien or uh, any of the other, sort of like 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, a lot of it is sort of like that very brutal structures. It's not sort of like very sleek, like, you know, um, if you look at like Passengers or Moon or something, mm. you know, it, it doesn't look like that. This is like, it's a horror film, so they want to create like a horrific environment. And, you know, you, you can do that with a very sort of sleek um, aesthetic, like in Moon or something. But I think with this, as Dave said, the type of story that it's trying to create just meshes, meshes so well with the, yeah, you, the scenery. You can't have the interior of the ship like being all white like it would have been in Star Wars in the 1970s. Again, like Gav said, he's pointed out Alien, which is a film that this uh, is clearly quite heavily influenced by. The architecture is very Geiger-esque, you know, who designed the uh, the ships and the, the creatures from Alien. It's very much in his style. I feel like if I'd have been aware of Alien, I might have my spaceship design so that it was a lot cleaner and there were less places for things to hide <laughs> uh, listen it's I, a very big structure you can fucking clean that structure you... I, I, I like I, the idea of somebody making a spaceship and then the inspector coming on board being like have you, you guys not seen Alien dickheads <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest with you space travel ever gets up and running I would like that job yeah. uh, these ventilation shafts are too big <laughs> I, 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 you know you know, D- D- Dave and uh, Gav are talking about the beautiful set, and I'd say the set is is nice. You know, I think maybe again over egging it a bit, but yeah, the sets the sets good. Like, uh, it, it, and so you know, like I was saying before, the cast is good, but they don't do anything with it. So you have got this set that's okay, but actually, once you're on the event horizon, it, you're pretty much in these same shots. So you're in the med bay, and you've got the same shot of the med bay. Then you're in this corridor that runs between it, and you've got the same shot of the corridor. Then you've got the same shot of these different places. So, yeah, the set's okay, but the direction actually makes it quite boring because you're in the same... You sort of have these about four or five different locations and the same shots are, are, are of them. So it's quite... It gets a bit dull, actually, that the, the, the set. It, I just think this film has a real problem because it had a lot of money spent, obviously, on the set and it had a lot of money, obviously, spent on the cast and then it, it didn't invest in the stuff it needed to, like a good director or a good script or a good plot. <laughs> complete fucking bullshit if, if I, may, that, I, want to, I want to really come down heavy on the uh, the, the bad director bit no Paul W.S. Anderson I think did a fantastic job with this especially with the constraints that are imposed on him by the studio the fact that he got a film together uh, was in, a huge credit to the man himself I thought he did a great job on this the film is beautifully shot and I thought he got a, a good a day's work out of his actors as well right, so that kind of leads nicely onto the next point which is basically the characters um, with horror films, I am kind of very much on the side of you've got to care about the characters. I really think that, you know, horror films were just cannon fodder, essentially just like maybe fun to watch, but very forgettable otherwise. Um, I've seen the cast list here and it looks pretty decent. So in terms of the actual characters, um, do you care about them? Do you care whether like they live or die type of thing? Um, we'll go to you, Gav. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely do. Yeah, hundred percent. And the characters, uh, it's they're very they're set up very quickly from the get go. Very slim, similar to like Alien or Predator. You know, like when you've got a small amount of characters and you need to kind of very quickly get their characters across. So you know, like you're showing really intimate um, uh, conversations between a couple of them, like Peters and. Uh, Justin having a conversation they call each other like uh, mother bear and uh, baby, baby bear. bear and you know like that it, but the thing is is what I liked about that is it's off camera so it's not like kind of shown like you know like the two of them are talking directly in front of the camera and that's the only bit of dialogue that you can hear I thought that was quite a nice subtle hint you know like it's oh, it's just off camera slightly and that's just showing like a little bit of their relationship and um, you can see that these people like they have just come off the back of a really long shift They've been working, I think, for like three years or something on a project. They're just about to finish and now they've got to go out again. They're all really annoyed. They're all really sort of like just worn down. And you can see that it's beginning to affect them slightly. Jason Isaac's character, he is sort of like getting to the point where he's just annoyed. He's just pissed off, basically. Um, Same with Sean Pertry's character as well, Smith, you know, the pilot. He was ready to kind of call it a day. And and now his leave has just been cancelled. Everybody is just like kind of, they don't want to be there. but you can tell that they really enjoy spending time with each other and they really enjoy each other's company and they, they love each other as well. By the time they get to the event horizon, it all changes though. You know, like it, all, all the terror sets in. You can see the kind of machinations of the ship and you can see the sort of like the, the horror that is brought from the back of their minds to the forefront. Uh, and I, I think the performances that go along with the characters are really, really good. Um, I, I was speaking about Peters and Justin before. I think their two performances really fantastic you know they've got to kind of dis- display sheer horror and anguish and pain suffering which i think they do really perfectly especially justin who's you've gone through the black hole he's seeing some horrors and he tries to kill himself because of that he locks himself in, a, in a, an air vent and it's about to kind of you know ex- ex- essentially expel him into space and you know it's decompressing and as it's decompressing he sort of like kind of wakes up from the days that he was in and you see the sort of the anguish and the terror that's in his eyes. And he's like, shit, where am I? You know what I mean? I've just been like on autopilot and I've got here, you know, the, 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 the sort of like the ship has driven me to, to this point And now I don't know what I'm going to do. And you know, the rest of the crew, the crew try and talk him around and, you know, like I'm put him at ease and calm him while trying to rescue him from this situation. And, you know, I think it's a very powerful scene and that is like synonymous with the entire film. I think every single actor does a really good job. I can't think of one bad performance in the entire film. It, it's a solid cast, you know, so, you know, I'm not going to say the perform- there's any performance in itself that is bad. I just say that there's not a lot for them to do. And by the end, you know, when you get into the point of just climactic thing of we've got to go and get this bomb and then this thing explodes and then you fall off this building and then you do this, I'd say there's there's a lot. I mean, Cooper at one point is flying off on a ship uh, into the deep space and he decides to like what fire his oxygen tank and like fire himself back to the ship somehow and then sam neil shoot it, it, it just turns into just like climactic nonsense after climactic nonsense the first couple of times you're invested but by the end it doesn't matter if you're given a good performance because you just like tired out you, you just find it a bit a bit um a bit, a bit samey someone else who just and this is a bad thing in the film. It probably wasn't a big thing at the time, but Jolie Richardson, right, is basically not in this film for for an awful large part of it. She's in the film at the start and she walks around pretty much just in the pants for the entire first part of the film. There's even a bit where she goes to Miller and says, 
uh, Captain, can I go and get dressed before I go on the bridge? And he's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you get double time to that bridge while everyone's getting dressed. That's like, not no, quite. No, that that, that, is, pretty that much, is it, Alex? That is actually pretty much exactly what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually pretty much what he says. She says, have I got time to get changed? And he says, no. Meaning... <laughs> No, meaning you don't have time, you should already be there. Yeah, you like, should have got changed before. No, get, get. No, but so it doesn't fucking stand, force it to so go. Like, well, no, 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 she, no she I'm goes not, and gets changed. No, he's it's, saying it's, that it's, it's, no, you I'm don't not, have time because like you've been pissing around so yeah, much. So, so Jolie Richardson, you out of all the crew member have to walk around in your pants for a bit longer. She doesn't walk but around in her pants. Do, she does. She does walk around in her pants quite a lot. No, but not like Sam Neil spends most of his time walking around in his pants. She's also all of them have been cryogenically frozen, right? And they're just coming out of their deep sleep, right? And they're all walking around in their bills okay. right, is, is what Jolie Richardson, is Richardson does it a lot more than anyone else and, no, it's, also not, and, and it's also not allowed to um, to get changed but anyway she is allowed to get changed <laughs> but anyway she's the only one who it is true is specifically told can't get changed but moving on She's then not in the film. She's not in... I love the way you had to get the last dig in. Thanks, thanks. She's, <laughs> because he knows she's it's also, not true. She's also basically not in the film um, at all, pretty much. She, she has a couple of lines which, which, where I imagine she went up to the director and went, it's Jolie, do you remember me? Can I have a scene? You know, she's clothes on now. Yeah. Can I have a, <laughs> yeah. can I have do you remember me? <laughs> like, so, and then she's right at the end and she's the one, she's one of the people, she's one of two people who survive. Right. And, um, Oh yeah, three. The guys in the tank. Yeah. So, um, but the, one of the two conscious people that survive right at the end of the film, and you, you, you're just like, well, who is she? Like, she just doesn't seem to have done anything. She's not really been in the film. She's like very much. Jones the cat in uh, Alien. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Joel. Joel, I mean, Joel like, she's like Jones the guy. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, so what separates her from Cooper? You know, who Alex mentioned before was working on the outside of the ship. We said it was damaged, so he's doing work to the outside. And then what happens later on is there's an explosion. And he is sent flying into space, and he decides, as Bruce said, to uh, expel the oxygen in his tank so he can get back to the spaceship. Well, well, what separates those two characters is Cooper's actually involved in the plot and has more lines. No, and no, has no, no. He he is gone for a long period of time after but, he gets exploded and sent into space. There's a long period of time where he doesn't come back. I would say that they've got the exact same amount of dialogue and lines. Absolutely and, you know, not. Jodie Richardson has no part in the plot. You know, uh, no, that's not true. She's working with the CCTV uh, footage I was telling about. Before, it's her that decrypts that. Her, Quinlan. No, the, the two of them are at the table working together on it. You know, they, there's plenty of dialogue going on between her. Maybe you didn't see her there, but she's there giving dialogue. She's got scenes. She's got lines. Well, Kathleen Quinlan. And in the thing that you're talking about, oh, she's just there at the end and she just survives. You know, it's just the, the three characters who survive are not the ones you'd expect. It's not predictable in that way. Mm. You would expect your lead characters, the people you spent more time on, perhaps, to be the ones who make it to the end. You'd be surprised by who the three survivors actually are. It's unexpected. Uh, back on your, uh, what you actually asked us, though, Joel, it's in terms of characters, <laughs> yeah. right? The, uh, the, the, I found the characters just a bit irritating, to be honest with you. I think it's because the script's pretty shit. So hard to, it's hard to like people when they're not being told to say. The only bit I liked properly liked was um the cctv the 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 logs you know the bit the, they do these like video logs and i think they're quite scary quite creepy quite uh quite engaging but actually but the, the rest of the film you know the actual acting the, the characters that we're dealing with are uh it's just irritating and not very hard, well written and the, the, the script well. itself. Yeah, yeah. Because they've got to jump from psychological horror scene in the past to, 
total gore to then space stuff. You know, it, it's it, it, they've got to jump around a lot. And they take it in their stride. Sam <laughs> Neill gives a great performance. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just cheesy. Oh, no. no Sam Neill embraces this Come script. On. It's a tricky yeah. script, I grant you, but he embraces it. I, I, he goes full throttle into this. It felt like Hellraiser in space. Yes. Exactly. It, it was a lot like Hellraiser in space. I'd, I'd be happy with Hellraiser. It, it and, felt like and, The Shining meets Hellraiser in it, space. Yes, yeah. it's what I'm saying. It's, it's so many different. It's The Shining, it's Alien, it's Hellraiser, it's all of these different it's all your favourite horror films. And, Those three things and it is in not space. greater than the sum of its parts. It's not as good as any of them. Uh, well, obviously, like... Well, they are three classic. Three classic oh, yeah. horror films. And Event you know. Horizon is not. Event <laughs> 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 like, Horizon is a very good horror sci-fi film, right? You're talking about, you know, arguably three of the greatest horror films ever made. Uh, and arguably <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah but I mean like I'd, let's not get into it now <laughs> but, let's, let's for the Hellraiser debate right <laughs> I, I think Alex is yeah, like I, I find it very very hard to believe that this guy was able to follow Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind flawlessly right in the first take but finds it hard to fucking sit through Event Horizon without knowing what horrors on display no it's like I, I, I understand what's on display I just think it's a mishmash of different ones that are not very good. No, it, I, I think you're looking too much into it. I think it's a case of like, as the film goes on, the, the horrors become more real and more severe. I think when they start off, they're very slight. They're very uh, psychological. It's like you can be, hang on, am I imagining this? Did I hear that noise? Or it must be my mind playing tricks on me. And then as the film progresses, it's like, oh no, shit's real. And it's gory. <laughs> That's not true. Okay. <laughs> Just to say that's not true. But, it is true. Uh, I mean, I and and we should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> okay, so I think I've pretty much got enough to go with here, unless anybody wants to add another small point. Yeah, um, I, I just think that let's no not... No one? Okay. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's not just forget how much of a good name Noseworthy is. <laughs> Noseworthy is Noseworthy a good name. Is, it, it's like a, an adjective for a good glass of wine, isn't it? <laughs> the, only thing, the only thing that has been said that I don't think I've come back at yet is the script. I actually don't think this is a bad script. It's not the best sci-fi horror script you're going to read, but it's a still pretty solid one. I particularly love there's this bit where they get the distress signal and they can only just make out like garbled bits of it and they hear uh, a couple of words in latin only one of the crew members understands latin the captain of the event horizon used to do his sign-offs in like latin speak so it's clearly him and it just what they believe says um liberate me save me is the only words they can decipher and as jason isaacs listens a bit closely too little too late he realizes it's liberate tutame save yourselves and that moment, there are there are chills. That is a good moment in this script. This is a well-written script. That is a, a, a bomb dropped at the right point. Don't underestimate this script. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to have the last word every time. <laughs> Alex's argument is just waiting for Neil Dave to say something and then saying that's not true. Well, we'll see how effective it's been. <laughs> All right, so... Gav, have you got a quiz for us? I do, yeah. I've uh, managed to knock one up here quickly. Uh, so uh, this is a quiz called, I've just written this now. Um, uh, number one, um, okay, Paul W.S. Anderson shot a fame uh, and he was given this job directing, uh, you know, uh, Hellraiser, or he was given the opportunity to, sorry, direct Event Horizon <laughs> um, because he had such success directing his previous film, which was what? Mortal Kombat. Yeah, well done, Dave. Um, wow. Uh, okay, uh, Anderson wanted to make this passion project next and passed on the chance to direct X-Men and which other space-based sci-fi horror? 
Alien 3. Alien Nearly. Resurrection. There we go, Dave. Alien 4, yeah. Thanks, Alex. I'll, <laughs> I'll share that point with you. You're welcome. Okay, number three, Paul W.S. Anderson did finally get the chance to direct an alien in AVP, Alien vs. Predator. Lucky man. In 2004. I mean, what a classic, Joel. <laughs> Arguably the best alien and, and Predator <laughs> film. Predator film. <laughs> um, now, it, it also featured an actor who had appeared in Anderson's previous sci-fi horror film, Resident Evil. Who was that actor? Jolie Richardson. No. Uh, is it the guy that plays Chris Redfield? No. James Purefoy? No. Ilya Jokovic? No. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Salmon? Yes, Colin yeah. Salmon. I didn't even know if it was we got there in the Colin end. Salmon. <laughs> he played Robinson in uh, the Tomorrow Never Dies Pierce Brosnan and like Bond films. Yeah. yeah like, uh, oh, the MI6 guys. Yeah, the, the secretary to M, essentially. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. You You'll know him if you saw him. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, anyway, uh, number four. Sam Neill lost his mind in another sci-fi horror film three years previously what was that film in the mouth of madness in the mouth of madness yes congratulations dave you are bossing this guys pull your fingers out joel this is one that you shall hopefully get Uh, lawrence fishburne would appear in his most iconic role two years later in another sci-fi classic the matrix but what colored pill made you forget everything and keep living in the matrix uh red oh blue uh, yeah, congratulations, Ozzy. It was, <laughs> it was blue. It was one of the other. I just waited as you went, oh. Ozzy's just like me. <laughs> I, I feel you should also share that point with John. <laughs> yeah, um, I, so what I don't understand is if the blue pill makes you forget everything, what the hell does the red pill do? Um, it's just a placebo. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just consent. No, it's a tracer. It? It's a tracer. I've watched that film so oh, many it? times. Yeah, I thought it was just like a jelly bean. Yeah. <laughs> just tasty. Uh, number six, Jason Isaacs and Jolie Richardson appear together again three years later in which historical Mel Gibson drama? Oh, Patriot. Uh, oh yeah, yeah well Patriot. done, Alex. The Patriot. Yeah. Uh, number seven. What was the next movie? That Paul W.S. Anderson directed after this uh, hint, it was another sci-fi film in 1998, starring arguably the world's greatest actor. Kurt Russell. <laughs> is it Kurt Russell? Yeah, it is Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, Soldier. Anyone remember that film? No. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Does, does Kurt Russell remember <laughs> Soldier? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Uh, okay, so Resident Evil was uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's Next sci-fi horror project, but how many Resident Evil films are there? Seven. Anybody else? Eight. I roll lower. I'm gonna go with eight. I'm gonna go higher. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna say nine. Uh, well, you're all wrong. It's six. Oh. Hey. Uh, now, how many of those did Paul W. S. Anderson direct? Six. Six. Four. Joel's right with four. Congratulations. And uh, last question here. Which Event Horizon performer did an uncredited job narrating the first Resident Evil film? Oh, Sean Pertwee. Yeah. Sam Neill? Yeah. Jason Isaacs. Clue. Yeah, Jason Isaacs. Oh. I'd like the clue is like they're from Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to run out of cast members eventually. Uh, yeah, that was, sorry, a very lackluster quiz. My bad. Uh, but Dave, you won it, so well done, mate. You can take a Fred on your way out. Well done, Dave. Lackluster quizzes are my favourite. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, it's not as clear-cut as I thought it was going to be, but it also kind of is. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love your summing up, man. <laughs> uh, so some things that I uh, liked were the fact that the characters are kind of going insane and you don't really know um 
if people are hallucinating or that type of thing, it's all all sounds like a very kind of psychological film, and uh, you know, it reminds me of uh, certain board games and books and and that type of thing, which. I don't know, maybe took influence from this. Um, I've always liked the spaceship setting. And, you know, according to Dave, he was very passionate about, you know, defending it and saying it's, it's very well used. Uh, you know, it's dark and dingy, that type of thing, as it should be. Uh, and I also like, again, when Dave said that uh, the ones that the characters that survive are not really the ones you'd expect, which... You know, it is something that kind of keeps you guessing throughout the film, especially in a film where essentially characters are just being picked off. Um, and then, you know, I also kind of liked a point that Ozzy made on the prosecution about the whole video clip uh, kind of vlog thing, which, you know, I've played a lot of games and a lot of games spent in, uh, set in space stations like Doom type of thing. And there's always like... It vlogs that you find um so again maybe it took inspiration from this who the flip knows but um i kind of <laughs> I, I really like that just because you know it, it, it's something that i can relate to and i linked it together uh, but definitely some things that i didn't like um you know i am a big uh kind of disbeliever if you like it in gore just for the sake of gore um so straight away when i heard when i heard you know alex and ozzy say about that uh, it really put me off. And also, you know, although Gavs and Dave said it builds up over time, Ozzy and Alex said it doesn't. Um, so it's hard to really know who to believe because you're all a bunch of vagabonds uh, <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, and also, uh, one thing that I also kind of don't like in films is the whole open to interpretation thing, as in kind of what is the horror, if you like. I just prefer to be told. You know, I really don't like it at the end of films where, you know, something like Inception type of thing where you're like, did he find his way back or is he still stuck in a dream? You know, so I just right. don't like it. I so just right. Shoot your pie um, uh, So uh, to, to sum up, basically, there were probably, I would say, equal good points to bad points. But I think the bad points carry a bit more weight for me personally. Uh, the biggest one being gore for the sake of gore is just... A big no-no for me. I just prefer for there always to be a point to it. Uh, so it's going on the shit list. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna pause him for you, little bummer. <laughs> I, I was cheering more for me. <laughs> oh. My dad's two in a row. Honest yeah, opinion. Me and yours, yeah, yeah. dream team. Dream team. On, honest, honest opinions. Uh, Alex, I'm pretty sure we don't have to ask your honest opinion. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it, and I don't think you will, Joel. It is, it is derivative, and I, I honestly, I, I came and I met Gav before, and we were like, "Oh, Event Horizon," you know, and just like that's a big pile of shite, isn't it? And Gav just looked at me with really hurt eyes, <laughs> like, like really hurt eyes. I was just surprised that you, honestly, because I know you two really do like it, but I'm just surprised. Yeah, well, it's shite. I, I, I would completely disagree. I think it is actually really good, and I think Joel that you'll actually really like it. I don't really think it's a go for go sake. Uh, I think that it's it's as gory as like um, uh, has Hellraiser. Essentially, it's not like one of the Saw films. There is like a lot of gore, but it, it's explained. It's not just like sort of like oh oh and look here's something that's really hideous. Uh, you know, just out of the blue, it is sort of like the gore is explained. You know, and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you think about it next week. Anyway, but but Dave. Uh, I genuinely like it. I really like this film. Uh, I was saying to Alex before, he was saying it's not a good film, is it? It's like, 
Perhaps not in the in the strictest sense of it being a good film, but if I'm channel flicking late and I see Event Horizons on, I stop and I will sit and watch Event Horizons. Yes. That to me is a film I enjoy. That is a good film. It doesn't have to be like have the the smartest script. It doesn't have to be derivative or nuanced or whatever it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be pretentious. It's just you can just enjoy a film for what it is, and I enjoy this film very much. Uh, and Austin, not, no, it's not for me. I didn't really enjoy it at all. Is it because you didn't watch it? Uh, <laughs> I watched like the first 30 minutes. And then as soon as it went to the hell bit, yeah. I was like, I can't really be arsed with this. <laughs> it looked it looked good to start with. I didn't really like the characters. I think I saw the first video log. thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Good touch. <laughs> that's, why you, that. that's why you mentioned that video log. <laughs> that's the point where you turned it off. Jesus Christ. Yeah, because I just needed you guys to believe that I did watch it fully. But... um just didn't grip me at all. I like just, um, just uh, as soon as you just start talking about hell and this unexplained thing that nobody's ever seen, and uh, just it, not sort of film I'm going to enjoy. So, right, fair enough. Okay, so uh, Joel, uh, congratulations! You listened to a liar and some guy who hasn't watched the film. I've taken your advice before, Gavin. It's never ended well. <laughs> Listen, you said you liked Halloween three, um, so <laughs> see. Higher or lower, lower than our previous <laughs> film on trial, which was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which scored 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Lower. I'm going to put it at 67. to be lower than that. Yeah, it Got was... 67 for just the fans. Critics I mean, didn't like it, but it's a cult classic. It's got a huge following. I'm, I'm going to say slightly lower. I think it's going to be way lower because I didn't even watch more than 30 minutes of it. So, <laughs> Well, obviously it's right, but uh, not for that reason. Uh, it scored... 27 percent jesus christ i know yeah Ouch. that's all you need to know um but the audience score is fairly higher it's you know 61 uh, it has gone on to become more of a cult favorite as dave said before there um and a lot of these scores are taken from when it was released as well um but yeah 20, <laughs> 27 quite bad uh so once again i brought up a poll on twitter over the weekend to ask our friends and followers which list event horizon should be placed on 72 percent of our listeners decided that it should be placed on the hit list uh, and honestly, I think this is the most interactive film that I've put up on a, a poll. I've had like so many comments, you know, people saying, you know, uh, to be fair, there's been a couple of negative ones, mo- mostly positive, but uh, it's one of those films that people want to talk about. As Dave said before, you know, if it's on, you'll watch it. You know, you've got an opinion on this film. You know, it's not just a case of like, oh, you don't, you don't know. It's like, you know, you're on the fence. It's either you, you really love it or you, you really hate it. And yeah, uh, anybody got any trivia on this? Um, I do have a bit actually one of the reasons why the film was so poorly received um, Paul Anderson was basically given a couple of weeks to edit it the uh, the studio had also financed Titanic which was going way over schedule way over budget and it was not going to be ready for the 4th of July slot for the weekend so they had no film to put out on the 4th of July weekend so this was it so they told the director wrap it up quick cut bits out of the film get it edited get it out there so it does feel like a bit of a rushed job um, but yeah, the interesting bit is that they stored the film in, in a salt mine in Transylvania. <laughs> Apparently salt mines are really good for storing film. Um, not in this instance though, cause the film was completely destroyed. So <laughs> th- there is no way we're going to get a director's cut on this. No. So, uh, wow. yeah, that, that backfired, but just thought it's, in, it's a salt mine in Transylvania. I thought it was quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought then I remembered it was in a salt mine, but I was like, was it Transylvania? No, that's two on the nose, isn't it? No, it, was, it was in Transylvania, was, yeah. I've got another bit of trivia. So the next film, obviously, that Paul W.S. Anderson went to do, as I said before, was Soldier with Kate Russell. And uh, as the um, sort of reviews are coming out for Event Horizon, 
uh, Paul W. Sanders was a, was a bit upset because he was like, you know, it was a passion project and it wasn't being well received by the critics. And Kate Russell said to him, he said, like, don't listen to what the critics say. You know, like, uh, I think eventually in a few years, people will look at this in a better light. And, you know, I think this will be one of the films that you'll look back on and you'll be proud that you made. And, you know, he said years six years later that, yeah, he's completely right. And looking back at the, his catalogue of work, that is one of the films that he's proudest to make. I think Kate Russell should know as well because like a lot of the films that he made were deemed quite shit at the time. And Kurt Russell was just waiting for those to, <laughs> those ones to rise. Aren't they? No, uh, the thing when the thing came yeah, out was a yeah, it was critical of... uh, bomb, and uh, even Big Trouble in Little China. I th- Do you know what I watched recently? Breakdown, the boss oh, film, which is Ray fucking film. brilliant. Really yeah, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. JT Walsh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, right. Catherine so we, again. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting uh, carried away here. Uh, so knows where these. <laughs> uh, now that's how you would describe the film <laughs> uh, before we call it a day it's time for a caption contest so here we take a, a screenshot of the film put it on Twitter ask our friends and followers to provide a funny caption with the best one winning a frog shaped chocolatey treat alright and the clip here is essentially Jason Isaacs looking quite surprised and a bit bloody mouthed um, so he's, he's, he's come a cropper you might say uh, you guys just got to pick the funniest one out of number one. A peek behind the scenes of the upcoming Little Shop of Horrors remake. Uh, number two, um, listen to the children of the night, what music they make. <laughs> uh, number three, seriously, Sam, you're messier than the kids. Somebody get daddy a bib. Uh, next one, would you like to watch Baby Shark for 24 hours straight or eat these razor blades? Uh, the next one, I love fresh strawberries. Uh, <laughs> next one Jason Isaacs to play Bleeding Gums Murphy in live action adaptation of The Simpsons <laughs> uh, the penultimate one is Too Much Cap and Crunch <laughs> I believe that's a very hard American series and the last one is When the Fart is More Powerful Than You Anticipated <laughs> well I mean the last one got the biggest laugh but I don't know whether it was more of a build up through to that <laughs> I did like the Dracula reference, Children of the Night. I did, <laughs> yeah, that I did like Cap'n Crunch. I did like the last one. So. Okay, yeah, Alex. Oh. Uh, I think Cap'n Crunch. I'm going to go Dracula. Oh, Dracula. No, I like Dracula oh, too. Joel? Let's do Dracula. Joel's Sorry, I, my like, ran out of battery here. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Joel. <laughs> so he just hung up on Joel. Yeah. Essentially, I, I haven't even told him that we've fucked him off yet. <laughs> I'm hoping he's just sat there. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, th- th- thanks, uh, Joel, for nothing. Rude. <laughs> uh, and congratulations to our good friend, uh, Ryan L. Terry. Um, uh, you've just won yourself a Freddo. Has he won two in a row? I will say, two on the bounce. Why? Oh, yeah, hey, well keep up the streak. Two on the hop. Two on the. Oh! <laughs> Swimming with Freddos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and our next film has been picked out of the hat at random, and it is the 70s cult classic, The Warriors. Uh, can you dig it? Uh, anyway, the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So in the role of defense is going to be Dave and myself. <laughs> in the role of prosecution is going to be Joel and Alex. And in the role of judge is going to be Austin. So thank you to everyone who has listened to this episode. If you like the episode, please remember to like, share, subscribe. Why not leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? You know you want to. And just spread the warm love that is films on trial in as many years as possible. And check out our fantastic graphic artist, Winston Sank, at the underscore quirks on Twitter. And follow us on Twitter as well, and Facebook, and YouTube, and Instagram, and all, everything, whatever. Anyway, that's it. Event Horizon is a shit. Unfortunately, 
Like we will come back to this verdict many, many times. <laughs> I do think this is going to be the new Suspiria, <laughs> and I will be going on about this every episode to come for the next year and a half. Uh, but we will be in your ears next week with the Warriors. Goodbye. And by the way, Gav, Jack knows where he was in breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's getting a a paycheck from the Noseworthy Estate. (laughs) (laughs) But his career is. It really did break down. (laughs) It really did. It took a Noseworthy dive. (laughs) Jesus. Getting all our best stuff out right there.